Hello, welcome to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer, introducing the new podcast, which is the place for moms to find encouragement, hope, and inspiration, where we're supporting moms in the trenches of motherhood. You will receive practical tips and strategies to address the developmental needs of your children with a positive parenting perspective in mind. Here at Moms Changing the World, we are moms on the journey of changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Get a resume for your child. I don't care what age they are. As soon as they start doing anything, you know, I don't care if they're doing, you know, what do you call it? Little, little league baseball. Right, you know, right. You know, if they participated in a reading contest, put that in there. Just any accomplishment that your child has made, put that in. Whatever it is your child is, is interested in doing that tells whoever's going to be reading that, oh, I think this child would be a good fit for this program. Changing the world. This is your host, Akua Walker, child development nurse practitioner and CEO, chief encouragement officer of moms who are in the trenches supporting their children, their families, and their communities with world changing insights and support. So, I'd love to share a quote that speaks to what we're going to be talking about today. I have another incredible interview that I'm excited to jump right into. And the quote that I have this morning is a proverb from the Yoruba people. What you give, you get 10 times over. I'll say it again. What you give, you get 10 times over. And I think this speaks beautifully to the warrior mom who we'll be talking to today, Rhonda Copeland-Lyle, because her story is so much about what you give and invest in your children, in your community, and how it comes back to you multiplied over and over again. To tell you a little bit more about Rhonda's background, Rhonda is a mother of three adult children. As the children entered their early school years in Woodbridge, Virginia, Rhonda discovered the importance of advocacy on behalf of her son and two daughters. By respectfully forming working relationships with teachers and maintaining oversight of her children's extracurricular activities, she was able to expose them to numerous fun and educational activities nationally and abroad. She understood that learning is easy when it's also interesting and enjoyable. This, in turn, led to unexpected and rewarding opportunities that, in turn, piggybacked one on another to reveal unknown programs with abundant benefits. She was able to learn about and provide scholarship programs that covered everything from paid camp to travel abroad, congressional internships to full-ride college scholarships. And along the way, she shared her boundless energy and knowledge with other parents, helping them to reach possibilities for their children. With her children now grown, 
Rhonda today devotes her time to assisting other students and families by sharing her extensive expertise and experience to help them so that the students can reach their full academic potential. She has summarized a lot of this in her book, Warrior Mom, How I Fought to Get a Great Education and Scholarships for My Children and Others, which we are excited to talk about and share today. So Rhonda, good morning. So glad to have you today. How are you? Good morning. I'm so excited to be with you today. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And the way that we're connected is through our mutual business coach. Shout out again to Mia Redrick. She talks in many ways about the proverb that I mentioned as far as if you put in the time, if you put in the work, if you put in the passion and devotion to whatever it is, you know, your gifts are, it will not only, you know, bless the people around you and bless you, but it'll, it'll change the world. And that's a big part of what brings us here today. Absolutely. Yeah, good. So then why don't we start with, you know, you telling us a little bit about your life now and how you came to this passion that I described a little bit about in your book? Well, to start, I am the first person in my family to go to college. And so I actually left home when I was uh, 18 years old and moved to the Washington, D.C. area and put myself through college, worked going to college during the day and working a full-time job with the FBI at night. And so you know, education and opportunities were always very important to me. And there were always people who were there to encourage me. And so when I, you know, got married and then had children, and I've always been a researcher, always looking for opportunities, and more specifically, free opportunities. That was always the word for me. What's out there that's free? Because there's so many opportunities out there that are free that a lot of parents don't know about or take advantage of, and especially, to be honest with you, African-American families. And so I just started on a journey when the kids came along. And let me just start by saying, you know, throughout my book, I talk about my three children. I actually only have one biological child, which is the youngest. And but I raised my niece and my nephew, my sister's children from the age of six to nine. And now they're like 30 years old or, you know, in their 30s now. And so I went from, I was a working mom, had went from one child to literally four children overnight because my ex-husband's niece came to live with us. So we have a household of four and I was still working. And it was a lot. But during those times, you know, they talked about super mom. I was trying to be super mom because I had loads and loads of energy. And I just dove into what needed to be done for the kids because I like order. I like things in order. I like things organized. And with the kids, it was either that or we were all going to crash and burn. And I was just not going to let that happen. Right. That's That's incredible. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. And, you know, many of us as parents have time, right? We we have little ones to begin with and, and then we you know, we gradually add, right? We have preparation if we, you know, we have pregnancy and we, we can kind of mentally prepare, right? As our family grows. But it sounds like for you, it was overnight almost. It was literally overnight. <laughs> wow. Wow. So then is motherhood what you thought it would be? Not really, because to be honest with you, I never really wanted to have children. <laughs> mm. And it was so interesting because I had a, I have a very good friend who always wanted to be married and always wanted to have children. And it never happened for her. And here it was, someone who never wants children ended up with four overnight. (laughs) (laughs) 
but obviously when my daughter, you know, you know, was born, I mean, I didn't realize how I would just love being a mom. I mean, mm-hmm. it was difficult because I was also an older mom at that time. I was actually mm-hmm. 41 years old when I had my wow. daughter, 41 okay. years old. Think about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then had, you know, the other kids and also, as I said, a full-time mom. So, uh, no, it wasn't what I thought it would be when I first had my daughter, because I thought, well, one and only, that would be it. You know, at mm-hmm. my age, I'm certainly not going to have another child, mm-hmm. um, but things happened and you go with the flow, you do what needs to be done. And that's just always been my, my mod, my model, you know, just never give up, keep moving forward. And obviously there were obstacles throughout the entire time, but we just, we just did what we could do. Right. Right. So then why don't you tell me about how you, you know, obviously had impact on children inside your home, but also outside of your home. Well, I actually, when my daughter was five years old, I decided to start a book club for her because she loved to read and I wanted her and I was had always grew up being a reader. So I wanted her to maintain that love and interest for reading. And so I started a book club and students that were in the book club, we all went to the same school. It was a small private school, a Montessori school in Woodbridge, Virginia, Cardinal Montessori. I always like to give them a plug because I absolutely love the school. And even to this day, you know, my daughter's like 23 years old. We still keep in touch mm-hmm. with the director that's that's there and some of the parents and but it was predominantly a white school and they did do a lot of reading and they read a lot of autobiographies but it never included anything about black people so Mm -hmm. I talked to you know the the owner of the school and I said you know really would be nice if you could introduce some of these books autobiographies about African-Americans and it wasn't even something he'd even thought about and he said oh you know what Rhonda that's right and he started doing that and then I wanted my daughter to have a, to be proud of who she was as an African-American young person and someone that was darker hue because several students had made comments about how dark her skin was. And so I said, you know, she needs to understand more from uh, than just me giving her that information in a organized setting, reading about the greatness of her blackness and the accomplishments of other African-Americans or African people, period. And so I started that, the book club for her. So she was five. Some of the other members were as young as three. They used to, we used to get together, the parents, and we were all working moms every quarter. And each family would host a book club setting where they would read a book. The parents would select the book. The student would read it. And even if the child was not reading, because some of the students, there were three, they weren't reading. The parent had to read the book to them. Mm -hmm. And then the student had to get up in front of their peers and parents and make a presentation. So what did that do for them? It allowed them, first of all, to learn about black people and the accomplishments of black people. Also gave them the opportunities to be comfortable with standing and giving a presentation in in front of an audience. So it made them, the Mm -hmm. kids loved it. They looked forward to every quarter having this book club meeting. And then we would do an activity surrounded by whatever the book was. For, I guess, the very first one we did, uh, Martin Luther King. You know, the kids all knew, had heard about him, but I wanted them to go deeper than that. And I found a cartoon that talked about him. And the kids read the cartoon and then they talked about it, gave their presentation. Then another friend did something on financial workshops. So they, we, you know, we did that. Uh, we would go to museums, art museums and cooking and do all those types of things. Go to, you know, New York to see the Lion King. We actually saw that twice. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> so we did all kinds of activities. 
And so the kids started this three to five years old, went all the way through high school. Then obviously by the time they got to high school, they were deciding what they were going to do. And they were all in different positions because they were all in, most of them were in private schools that I had helped several of the students get into private schools. My kids got scholarships to go to private schools and through an organization called the A Better Chance. And so that's how, you know, I really got started with that. And so with my group, after 20 some odd years, we are still a group of moms that we deal, still do things. We meet up and we have lunch together. Now we're Zooming together. Right, right. And the kids are, you know, doing their thing. But we had them involved in political campaigns, you know, volunteering. We hosted an event for President Obama when he first election in um, uh, 2008 that the community was invited to, was featured in the Washington Post. And then in 2012, we hosted another event that the kids organized where they did a roundtable discussion about political things that they were interested in. And it was just, it's just been a great, great experience for them. And, you know, they still kind of keep in touch. I don't know what they're doing now, because they're all adults now. So right, right. They, they keep in touch. But it was something that started when my daughter was like five years old. Yeah, that is so incredible. I mean, that idea is so great because it it hits on so many wonderful things. You know, it started off with literacy, right? You wanted your children to learn to love how to, you know, read and enjoy it from an early age. But then you also brought in the idea of reading about yourself and you using that, you know, reading to learn about your history, your culture, your identity. And then it, it sounds like it blossomed into even more where you're having the children present and so they're working on presentation and public speaking skills and then as they get older they're organizing and planning and because you're exposing them to the different activities you know they're also seeing the world right it's bringing books to life in ways that we sometimes miss the opportunity to do Absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it's been a, it's been a magnificent I mean they've been featured in the Washington Post and other news magazines. My daughter wrote her first book when she was 13 years old that was published and featured in the Washington Post, did a commercial for the Holocaust Museum that was aired on CNN and um, some of the other cable news channels, you know, but I sought out opportunities for the kids. I didn't wait for anyone to present something because one of the things that I found, be honest with you, a lot of the teachers and the counselors, you know, especially when they got into middle school and high school, they weren't necessarily offering these opportunities to mm-hmm. my children or other people's children. So mm-hmm. we had to, you know, I had to seek those things out. And I can remember mm-hmm. inviting myself to a whole lot of things that were for teachers only or administrative only. If I heard about it, I show up. No one ever challenged me. And I made myself part of the group, whether I was invited to be there or not. And, right. and <laughs> I didn't sit in the back and hide. I was always in the front row. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I belong yeah. there. Right, right. Because I did belong there. In your book, you tell a story about a Mensa meeting. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. I had met this gentleman that was deputy superintendent for school in Virginia. And I'm not sure where I met him. And he just happened to mention that he was doing a program for Mensa in Alexander. And at that time, I used to live in Alexander, but moved to Woodbridge, Virginia. And so as he's talking... I like got a pen and wrote it in my hand where it was going to be at what time. And I just showed up because it was actually for administrators and for teachers only. And there were a young lady from Mensa, the representative who came in and she was trying to 
She was going around the country representing Mensa and trying to encourage teachers to allow minority students, black students and Hispanic students to be considered for Mensa. And even though they, and, you know, and as you may know, Mensa is based on your IQ. And so some of the students had been tested and had almost passed, but wasn't quite there. And so they were trying to get the school districts all over the country to still accept these students in. And I was so struck by the pushback of the teachers and the administrators in that meeting. As I said, I wasn't even invited to be there, but I decided to speak up and I said, why not give these young people an opportunity? I said, they have not had the same start that a lot of your students or your own children have had. I said, you know, you put two people on a, on a, to run a race. One has had the best training, has a, a nail in there, had the best shoes, and the other has not had any training and has, you know, sneakers with a nail on it. Who's going to win? Who's obviously going to win? The person who is better prepared. So why not offer these young people who don't quite meet that standard that they're looking for, but now that the organization is allowing it, why not? And they were just so against it. And I looked at it primarily as, well, that's just too much work. And that's what a lot of them said. Oh, that's just too much work. We already have enough to do. And that really concerned me. And as a parent there, and at the end, I introduced myself as a parent. And they were wondering, well, why is she here? Who am I? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. It doesn't matter while I'm here. But I wanted to give them something to think about when they went back Mm. to their prospective school. Yeah, yeah. That uh, I mean, that sounds like you were using, you know, your your warrior instinct, right, yeah. to step in and to speak up from a perspective that was missing from that room, and so Absolutely. that was like a divine appointment that you were there to be able to reflect that back to them. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's you know, in, ma- in many ways, an example of one of the questions that I ask as far as empathy and teaching our children empathy, race, that understanding of one another walking a mile in someone else's shoes. How did you help your children with that as they were growing up? Well, you know, one of the things was, is as I said, I, the older children were six and nine years older than my daughter when they came to live with us. And, you know, they came to live with us and out of a circumstance that was not conducive to child rearing at all. And so I had to really spend time with them. And then my nephew actually had a disability. And so I had to learn all about that. Uh, Because, you know, again, as I said, when they came to live with us, my daughter was 11 months old. And I was a new mom. So I'm just trying to figure out, you know, working with her. Diapers (laughs) and bottles. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And although, you know, I did take a year off from work with her before I went back to work. But when the kids came to live with us, that was a month before I was going back to work. So really had to work with them a lot because they had a lot of insecurities. We're not familiar with, you know, the environment that, you know, we were living in at that time. And so it was a lot of teachable moments, a lot of counseling, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, talking to the counselors. Uh, One of my friends was a very good counselor within the county that we lived in in Virginia. And she just shared a lot of things that you know, what you need to do in order to acclimate the older children into your household. You know, they really didn't know me that well. They just remember, oh, that's Aunt Rhonda who comes to visit from, you know, they time to time in Philadelphia. Right. And, and so it was, 
it was difficult, but it was something that was doable because we did it. Yeah. You know, we did it. And, you know, my niece was very tall for her age. So everyone always thought that she was older than she was. And so she didn't have a whole lot of confidence in herself and in, in her ability. She, she had low self-esteem. And so when she was in middle school, I told her, I said, I want you to enter this oratorical program that the Deltas were holding, uh, Martin Luther King program. And she was very nervous about it. And I said, but one of the things that I always tell parents, when you want your child to you know, be involved in something, give them the tools to be selected or be successful at it and hopefully selected for. Mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm. just tell your child, oh, I want you to do this. And then don't give them the tools. So what I did is I found um, at our church, one of the deaconess, she was an oratorical scholar. Mm. Uh, she'd also won several contests herself. She was also a teacher. And so I had my niece work with her. I then had another friend who was familiar with stage production. I had him take her to the space. Or I took her to the space so he could tell her how to work the, you know, the stage because it was a pretty big stage. And it was like 2000 people that were going to be there, but she had to get there first. She had to be selected by her school to represent her school in the countywide contest. And then I took her to my friend's house or brought them over to the house for her to present her speech to. So she had to get that practice. And I remember saying to her, you know, I don't care whether you win or not. And she says, oh, but I do want to win. I'm like, all right, now we're going to do this. And so (laughs) I had to put those things in place to help her be successful, whether she won or not. And guess what? She won. Featured on ABC News, you know, and the Washington Mm -hmm. Post, you know, those types of things. So there were so many things that you might as parents, you have to help your children to be successful at whatever that level of success is, even if it's just them signing up for something or participating in something that they're they don't want to do or they're nervous about doing or they don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. doing. Help mm-hmm. them get comfortable because that's life. That's life. There are always right. going to be in uncomfortable positions and you want them to feel comfortable with figuring it out for themselves and putting in the work to, to do well and be success, whatever that success level is. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And you were able to use the resources around you. It sounds like because, you know, we often know people who, you know, have experience or background. (laughs) Within our church, we have people in every profession. That's right. That's right. And (laughs) it often begins with just asking, you know, the simple question, bringing it up. Would you be willing to? Right. And And it's amazing how many people were so willing to step in and say, sure, I would love to do it. That's right. That's right. That's wonderful. And again, it, it, you know, it kind of brings back. Right. You know, multiplied over and over and over, you know, what comes out of that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So then, you know, it sounds like you did a lot within your community and you helped your children acclimate and you had the club, the book club in your community. So then how did you branch it out to a broader world, right? And the bigger world that you wanted to expose your children to? Well, I just got people just started coming to me. Other people were referring to if they would ask a question oh, well, you know, my child wants to do this and I don't know how to get them involved or my child is interested or I'm looking for scholarship. And people just started referring people to me. They would see me at church and ask me questions or someone would send me an email or call me up. And before you know it, churches were inviting me in to make give presentations, sororities, um, different organizations. And I just, that's what I did because I loved it. 
And I loved it when the parents were interested or showed an interest in it. And I remember there was one story someone had invited me to an organization that helped predominantly minority students in their in their area. And so they had these programs for the students and then they would have a workshop for parents. And so I was invited in to and it was actually at the last minute, like the day before to come in and and talk to the, the parents. And there was this one parent who was there who told the story about she told me a story about how she felt so demeaned by her daughter's teacher. And she said, I don't know how to talk to her. And because the teacher told me that it wasn't my job to speak up for my daughter and that my daughter needed to speak up for herself. Because the issue was her daughter had turned in a paper and the teacher said she never gave it to her and she gave the young lady an F. And then the mother said, well, when I called the teacher, the teacher said, well, you know, your daughter is old enough. She needs to be advocating for herself. So, you know, I'll talk to your daughter. So the teacher refused to talk to the mother. And I told her, I said, no, that's the wrong answer for her to have given you. You as the mom, your daughter did talk to the teacher. The teacher dismissed her. Now you, mom, as the warrior and as the activist mom that you need to be, you then go to the principal. I cannot tell you how many times I've been to school principal about something. I, you know, I, I, that, that's what I do. If I had to take off from work to handle something, call my boss, I'm talk, had to go into the school. I would sit outside the school, the principal's office for however long I needed to and wait for them or schedule an appointment. So there were several times when sometimes, yeah, you try to work with the teachers. And what I always did with my kids at the beginning of every school year, I always sent them an introductory email, you know, telling them who I was as a parent. Tell them who my child is as a as 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 who's the student and my expectations of my child, my expectations of the teacher, and then ask the teacher what their expectations of me were. Always did that with every teacher so that they knew coming in, I'm an involved parent. I will be asking you questions if you have questions. And I always tell them we're going to work as a team to ensure the success of my children. And so that kind of set the background for how we were going to work. And most teachers appreciate it. Some teachers didn't. <laughs> Some teachers, when they would see me coming down the hall, they would turn and go the other way because they know that I was going to address something or ask something or whatever. And that was fine too. But in the long run, always at the end of the years, even with the teachers that there may have been some issues with, they always appreciated my involvement because they said, we knew that if we contacted you about any problems or issues, they would be taken care of, that you were not going to be, I was not one of those people that automatically said, oh, well, that wasn't, my child didn't do that. My child didn't do that. It was your problem. You did something. I was not that, I was not that parent. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be a team with your your, your children's teachers. Critical. And I, yeah, I love that approach, you know, and find it so helpful because, you know, teachers do want to partner with parents, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, and if you take that initiative, mm-hmm. so, you know, that they have to constantly be concerned about because they know that there's a parent there. That's right. And I used to volunteer for the schools all the time. Right. Go in and volunteer. And again, you know, my daughter was a reader. She was in a Montessori school. And which if you're familiar with Montessori, they're like three age groups all in the same classroom. And I volunteer to listen to the students read. My daughter was three and the best reader was two five-year-old twins. They were Asian twins. <laughs> and I knew that because I heard them read. So my goal was, and my daughter has said, she said, mommy, I want to read as well as you know, I can't those remember. twins, right? And I'm like, and that's the goal. That's what we're going to work on. Yeah. And, and and I knew how well they read because I went in and volunteered. 
So all of the programs mm-hmm. and things that, for the most part, that I was interested in my kids being involved in, I volunteered for those organizations. Even if even when I was working, I would put in for leave to go and volunteer for these organizations so that I would know how they worked and how they operated from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, I mean, is such a, a hands-on way of serving, right, and being um, a part of that community and letting them know that, you know, you are, you're invested, right? You are there to make sure the organization, you know, is successful. You're putting kind of your, your you know, money where the mouth is, right? You're putting your, your effort, your time, your energy to make them better. And that does give you that insight for how your child can then, or your you know, community can then take advantage of what that organization That's has to it. offer. And it also allowed me to understand when my child wasn't being given a, a good break. Sure. And be able to challenge it and ask questions and say, no, I'm not going to stay. Because I remember with my nephew, he had a disability, but there was a program within the state where he could go away for the summer. And he was in middle school for like a two-week training program. And a teacher had told me that he was the next person on the, um, you know, to, to be selected. And I thought, okay, great. And then a new student came in. This happened to be a white student. Came in, mm-hmm. and I was talking to the mom, and the mom said, "Oh, I'm so excited, you know." My, and I, I think, I, and that's in the book as well. My son's been selected to go to this per- program. I'm like, hmm. The teacher said that my nephew would be the next one in line. Mm-hmm. So I went to the teacher and I said, "You know, such and such has been selected." My nephew was supposed to be the next one. She says, oh, well, you know, um, he'll, he'll just have to wait till the next one. And I obviously did not accept that. Went to the principal, went to the county, went through the superintendent for special education. And I said, you guys have already offered that position to him. OK, but you need to offer my nephew a position in that same program at the same time. And they found a position for him. Suppose I hadn't said anything. Suppose I had just walked right. away and accepted that. And so we as parents, you have to fight for your children. You have to be that warrior mom, that warrior parent. You have to be that activist parent and stand up for your children. You you, you just have to, because they will always be left behind in a lot of areas if if you don't. Right. It sounds like you don't take no for an answer. I don't. (laughs) And and I don't know. I think in, 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 in my book, I... I, I like to say, I don't, I don't accept no from answer from anyone who's not authorized to say yes. Mm-hmm. Usually the first person that you see is the secretary, the receptionist. They're all authorized to say no to something. They're not authorized to say yes. So I kind of discount their no and I go over their head and get to the person who's authorized to say yes. And if that person says no, then usually I will accept it because by that time I've already done my research. But most of the time, if I ask the question for something, I've already done my research ahead of time. I know the answer could be yes. Mm-hmm. And so I go mm-hmm. to whoever is authorized to tell me yes. So parents never accept no from a person who is not authorized to say yes. And that's either that's the big boss or so someone within that chain is authorized to say yes. And it's not the first person that you normally see. The right. Secretary or the you know, receptionist or what have you that will tell you no. Yeah. Yeah. There's often multiple steps and layers uh, yeah, to, to getting that. Yes. And going I, up the ladder. That's right. Until you get that. Yes. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So then in your book, you know, some of the, the chapters and it's, you know, very practical, you know, you talk, you give examples and you give the websites and the resources, which is incredible. You know, you've talked about how it all begins, the right path. It starts at home when young people take the lead. And then you have a section on world travel. 
Can you tell a little bit about how you, you know, got your children out into that world to see it for themselves? Well, for me, when I was 15 years old, a teacher was taking three students to Haiti and she asked my mom if I could go, if I could be one of those three students. And she was sponsoring a, a, a group, a dance group that was going over. And so at the age of 15, my mother paid for me to go. My mother did not have that kind of money, but she got she made an agreement with the teacher. She would pay on it. Twenty five dollars like a, a month or something. And so my mother gave me that opportunity. And so that got me so interested in traveling abroad. And I had always said. I want a job that would pay me to travel abroad. And that's what I got. I got a job that paid me. So I traveled the world. Somebody else paid for it. And even after I retired, I got a volunteer job with the State Department program. And every year until COVID hit, they would send me abroad and I didn't have to pay for it. And so that's how I first got interested. And my niece was the first of the kids to travel abroad when she was 16 years old, found about a program, experimented international living. I think I noted that in the book. And I volunteered with them, volunteered with them to see what the program was. Because obviously, because you're dealing with children, I wanted to ensure that it was a safe program, encourage her to apply. And then the program that she was with, a better chance, um, I asked them if they would recommend her. Because with their recommendation, it would be fully funded, full scholarship. So that's how she got her first trip to Spain for a month on a State Department funded program. Then after that, she got a chance to go to South. Africa, Turkey, you know, other places. And then my daughter, her first a trip abroad outside of, you know, going to Mexico with the family and that type of thing. She got a full scholarship to go to China for six weeks to study Mandarin. But she was also studying Mandarin. But we also hosted foreign exchange students in our home because the kids were interested in, you know, other cultures and doing that type of thing. And then my daughter wanted to learn Mandarin. So I found a program. I took her to meet with a professor at Georgetown University, who I was told has some type of program for young students. My daughter was 10 years old at the time, I think. So we went to George Mason, scheduled an appointment with this professor, Chinese professor there. And she was like, oh my, and it was so interesting because when I talked to her over the phone, I knew she did not know we were African-American family. Because when I walked in, you know, it's obvious that she was very shocked. A look on her face. A look on her face. And so she was interested. So she talked to my daughter. She says, oh, well, why are you interested in, um, you know, Mandarin? So she says, well, we're going to be hosting this young boy from China. And I want to be able to communicate with him. And she referred us to a program. It was a Sunday program. We would go, go to church in the morning and go there at night. And actually, she was, no, she was 11. She was the youngest person in the classroom. The other kids were like five, six years old. And she said, oh, my goodness, they can speak Mandarin. So it made her work even harder to learn it because they were younger and she was like the oldest one. The in the older class. one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so, she so, sounded so motivated. Yeah. Motivated. So then she got the opportunity to go to the six, six weeks language summer program in China. Absolutely loved it. She was, I think she was 15 at the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And, you know, I think as a, as a parent, I love and, and let me add, fully funded 
That's right. (laughs) Taken care of. That's right. Taken care of. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I I think I would love to for my children to be able to travel and see the world like that. But, you know, you know, maybe you can help those parents, you know, who might be like me who are nervous. Right. About the idea of putting, you know, our child, you know, on a plane without, you know, without us, right? Going with them um, necessarily, right? To experience. And so what I say to that is. I noticed with a lot of parents, when I had mentioned this to them, some of my friends said, oh, no, actually, we'll never do that. And they were also the ones who would never send their children to boarding school. Guess what? They did because they watched how well my kids did. They they went Mm -hmm. to the schools. And this is the other thing that I and obviously boarding school is not for every parent. It's not for every child. But most of these private schools also have day programs as well. But what I always advise and when we were looking at schools for 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 the girls, we just started visiting the school and participating. If they were having a basketball game, we would go. Yeah. If they were doing volleyball, whatever they were doing, or a play, we would go. Because then you're in that natural habitat, not people just trying to lose you and trying to get you to consider the school or something. You see them for who they really are. They have no idea who you are. They don't know that your student doesn't go there. So and that's what we did. We traveled around and went to the baseball games, the soccer games, the volleyball game, the plays, and get a chance to see the parents, the faculty, and all the students with them not knowing anything about us. That's the best way. And then as far as you were saying, you know, sending your children abroad, I say, try hosting a foreign exchange student. People from all over, from most countries send their children abroad at very early age. It's usually Americans that don't because, you know, we're, you know, we're like, hmm, you know, and, 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 and also if you're a black parent too, you're even, you know, more kind of hesitant because you don't know how the world may respond to your black child. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I had traveled at such a long, a, a young age and my mom let me do it. It was just something that I knew we were, all, I was always going to do if I had kids. So it was never a question for me, yeah, but for yeah. other parents, it's not an easy decision. It's something you really have to talk about, discuss, and pray about. And you just have to feel comfortable with it. Right. And it's not, obviously, everything is not for everyone. Right. And it sounds like when you did do it, when we were talking, you know, before that you would stay in very close contact with all of the people and have safety, you know, guards in place. Oh, or, Absolutely. Or On text and the email. When my daughter was in, in Spain. I knew everything they were doing every day. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> every location, every person. And, but that's the way the program was set up. And because this was a State Department program, it was set up very, very well, where you can track, go online in their portal, and you knew everything they were doing. They were posting pictures every day, and then the kids were calling or texting and whatever every day. Mm-hmm. So you knew, I mean, so you knew what was going on, you, you know, you, you yeah. did, and you just had to trust the people that the State Department hired, which were normally colleges that were mm-hmm. selected to mm-hmm. you know, host and run the program and run the program. Yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even before, you know, they would go, you know, we went to orientations and had conversations with other parents who did it with other students. And so all of that, you know, gives you more of a sense of, Oh, okay. And I'll be right. honest, the comfort, the comfort, be honest with you. I mean, as I said, I got, when I got into the work world, I was paid to travel abroad. I'll be honest with you, I felt safer traveling abroad by myself at night 
than I did in some parts of the United States of America. Okay. Sure. sure. But you yeah. have to be comfortable whatever decision you make. You, you make, make. Yeah. 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 That's right. And then you, you know, also mentioned kind of being, you know, being a special mom as well, you know, to a child with the special needs. And one of your sections in the book talks about, you know, don't let a disability diminish expectations of what your child can accomplish. Uh, you know, and I have a special place in my heart since I work with special families as well. Yeah. And so I'm curious, you know, what, what advice you would have for, you know, a child with a special need? Include them in everything that you're doing for your other children. I mean, my nephew was involved in everything. He wanted to, you know, work in church and he was like on the usher board. He was on the, the choir. He was in security. And the people at church, they all knew him. And so, and they knew, you know, his, whatever his limitations were, but they worked with him. So give that child the same opportunity that you would give any of your other children. Mm -hmm. He wanted to go to college. You know, the girls would have have that. He wouldn't, his, you know, disabilities, intellectual disability. But I found a program that a teacher told me about when he was, Daryl was maybe nine or 10. And he started this program at George Mason University, and they were doing a test, a prototype on developing a program that would help students with disabilities, you know, who had intellectual disability. And they wanted actual Mm -hmm. students, and Daryl liked working on the computer. Mm -hmm. So at 10, I think he was 10 years old, got him into that program. It was a month-low program. would take him every, you know, um, every day to that, you know, drop him off, go to work, go back, pick him up, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. because it was one of those Mm -hmm. types of things. And so he worked with that at the age of 10. Well, then that program at George Mason also developed into a program that gave students with special needs and college experience, Mm -hmm. but they were teaching them at their level through the Heller Keller Institute. Now, had to pay for it just like everyone else, but guess what? After high school, he worked for an organization and I went to them and I said, He's been, my nephew's been accepted for this position, which you consider, because I found out they had a foundation. So would you consider Mm -hmm. sponsoring him? They were ecstatic. They said, we've never had anyone within our organization get into that program. And they knew about the program. So when he Mm -hmm. got accepted, they, after the first year, they funded everything for him. Again, it was just a matter of asking the question. What are you Mm going to say? Yes or no? You got a 50-50 chance. And they were willing and they did it and they were excited and happy to do it. That's incredible. I love that you opened the doors, you know, for all of your children, you know, based on their interests, based on their ability levels, based on their passions. And now I'm I'm sure they are blossoming in those areas. (laughs) And, you know, you know, I see you as a mom changing the world, using your voice as a leader, author, scholarship coach. You know, can you give us another, you know, two or three you know, tips for kind of where to start, you know, with our children, capturing maybe some of the things that they're doing now to help leverage that for their future and, you know, what we can do as they grow up, you know, to to support that. Well, absolutely. The first thing that I did, my daughter had a resume when she was five years old. I just started documenting everything that she was doing and, and the other kids. She was the youngest. She was five documenting everything that they did. And what I and what I call it is a living document. You just because 
the kid, we were so involved with so many different things. And then, you know, again, working full time, I had to keep track of what they were doing. So I just started keeping track of what they were doing. So as a program came up that required an application or what have you, I would take from my master list that I had consolidated and transfer it over into a format, you know, uh, resume format. And I have a, a copy of a sample in the book. And just outline their education, their scholarship, scholarly passions, their sports, just like anybody else's. And because they were younger, you know, putting a cute little picture of them helps as well. Right. <laughs> and so many people would comment when I would find out, oh, well, you know, you guys really don't qualify for this program for scholarships because you make too much money. And I just send them a copy of the resume or in, and or have the kids call them up after the resume was sent to leave a message if they answered or didn't answer to say, hi, you know, and I'm just really excited about being considered for this program. People aren't expecting that from young people. Right. They're not expecting it. So I tell parents, get a resume for your child. I don't care what age they are. As soon as they start doing anything, you know, I don't care if they're doing, you know, what do you call it? Little, little league baseball. Right, you know, right. Put that on there. <laughs> you know, if they participated in a reading contest, put that in there. Just any accomplishment that your child has made, put that in whatever it is your child is, is interested in doing that tells whoever's going to be reading that, oh, I think this child would be a good fit for this program. My daughter got her first scholarship when she was in, she was in fourth grade for a program that was going to start by the time she was in five years old. Again, they said, oh, no, and the program was a week-long program in Washington, D.C., and we live right outside Washington, D.C., but it was going to be like an overnight thing, and she, like, really wanted to go, and it was kids coming from all over the country, and they said, well, you know, it's $2,500. You don't really, you're not eligible for a scholarship because you make too much money. I sent them her resume, had her call them. Next thing I know, I get an email saying, congratulations, your daughter got $1,500 scholarship. The program, no, the program was $2,000. She got $1,500. We only had to pay $500. Incredible. Yeah. And she came out the couch. She went out to California for UCLA. Same thing. Oh, no. She Next thing I know, she got a scholarship. <laughs> so yeah. you have to ask. You have to ask. That's great. That's great. And you know, oftentimes our children are doing things, you know, whether it's through the church or through their schools. And so we all can, you know, put so some things down. Them. If your child is on the usher board, put usher. If they're singing in the choir, put that down on their resume. And and just start building your child's resume and building up their confidence by getting them exposed to lots of different things and different types of people and different types of, you know, the environment. Because that's the real world that they're going to grow up to be involved in. And they need to have a comfort level early on. You don't start in high school. You start as soon as that child is born. I'm honest. Right, right. It starts <laughs> reading, young. Reading to them even when they're into your tummy. Because that's what I did. Reading to my daughter the whole time and listening to mm. classical music. To this day, when she wants to relax, what does she do? Turn on classical music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Planting those seeds early. Yeah, exactly. That's great. And you've already shared, you know, the tip about volunteering for the organization. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Volunteering is so important. Anything that, you know, your child, you know, expresses an interest in or not, maybe they don't even know. Volunteer for the, that organization. 
you know, take us if you're a working person, do it after work. If that's not possible, do it on a Saturday. And I always say, get your children involved in volunteering themselves. My, my kids had so many volunteer errors. Um, two of them did receive the Congressional Gold Medal for volunteer and personal development. My, my niece, she did her paperwork, but she never submitted it. And my nephew was actually the first person with a disability to be given a Congressional Gold Medal. And it is a program that takes two years to complete the requirement for it. But all you're doing is documenting the things that you're doing that meets their requirement. And it is a lot of work, but it is so worthwhile because every little bit on their resume helps them for being considered for any scholarship, whether it's a scholarship for elementary school, middle school, high school, or college. Yeah, that's great. And then when it comes to researching, you know, you mentioned a little bit about the government and State Department funded, you know, programs. How can we find out about that? Well, I actually found out it by by accident. The very first student that we hosted, I went, it was a private organization and I met the woman who was the owner, a Japanese American, I mean, a Chinese American woman. I don't remember how I met her exactly. And she just came up one day, we just started talking. And so she said, would you be interested in hosting a student? I'm like, oh, yeah, I think that would be interesting. Let me go home, talk to the hubby and the kids. And they were like, oh, yeah, sure, fine. And so we, we hosted the one student. And it was then they asked me if I would be a regular volunteer with their organization. And I remember just going out on the, the website and because I had friends that worked for the State Department. And I remember mentioning it to a friend of mine who worked for the State Department. And they said, well, you know, the um, State Department has a similar program. I'm like, really? I didn't know that. So I did my research. They didn't know anything about it because they didn't have kids. They just knew that they heard about something and didn't know what it was called. So I just started doing my research and I reached out to an organization and said, you know, I want to volunteer for the organization. And it's like, well, great. Wow. You know, and then I became what they refer to as a local coordinator for them where I find homes, homes for students that are coming to the state from other countries and they stay here for a year and live with the host family for a year, they go to school. And so I started, you know, that was my little, this was, I started working with them after I retired. And, and it was what I call my little part-time job. You know, I made gas money, but I love doing it. And what did that do? That also allowed me to learn about all these other programs I had never even heard of. Before. And then that's, that's right. how the kids got their scholarship because I right. knew about these programs. So it was yeah. just a matter of research, just of putting yourself in position. I cannot tell you how many groups of people I used to lurk around when I heard them. My ears would perk up when they were talking about something in a conversation I wasn't involved in. I would walk, you know, sometime I would try to inject myself and it, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. If not, I just mm-hmm. kind of lurked around and listening on their conversation. <laughs> <laughs> these programs, you know. Always had, by the time I got, you know, cell phones, you know, I just key something in. If I overheard someone saying something, I key it in so I could research it later. Right, right. So always be on the lookout, always be ready. And just, you know, now. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And interject yourself in the conversations, whether they people want you to or not, (laughs) or hover behind them while they're talking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there is so much around us that we, you know, we miss out on if we're not yeah. kind of mindful and present and alert to what people, you know, are are talking about. So, you know, it sounds like, you know, you have had quite the juggle while you're raising your kids and even now with, you know, balancing work and groups and volunteering. So, you know, how did you create balance and find joy in all that you were juggling? You know what, for me, 
I had such a great support systems of moms. And, you know, most of the moms were in the book club. And so we kind of, our kids kind of all grew up together. And so we were always, even though we were doing things mostly for our kids, when the kids would go off and play and do different things, we would just get together and talk, you know, and eat and laugh and just have fun. And then as the kids got older and really doing their own thing, we still get together. And, you know, we're still very, very close kids. Friends, then our kids are all grown. And so it's just having that support group where you can just pick up the phone and call someone and, okay, I need this. Whether it's, oh, uh, can you pick up, you know, the kids from school? I can't make it there. So we were always there to support the other. We always knew that there was someone else. If we couldn't get somewhere to either get the kids or do something, someone else could go do that, that we felt comfortable and we trusted. And so that that try that I think, uh, what is um, uh, Mrs. Obama her posse, she refers to it as her posse, posse of women. That's how we made it through. And even to this day, you know, anything that happens or any parent needs something, one of the parents is always available to support or we're all there to yeah. available to support. Yeah. That's incredible. So that, yes. So, that is so critical and so important. And, and we all, the kids, we all went to the same school. We all went to the same church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, that sense of community is yeah. so invaluable. I mean, we just, you know, you can hardly put to words, you know, what it means to have those other children and other parents and families that are like your family or your home away from home, like right? Like since many, exactly, many people, you know, may not live in the same place where they grew up, or even if they do, you know, it's really a, a network. Um, that has to kind of reestablish itself with, you know, each generation. And so that's great. Yes. And we hear moms. Just a friend. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Like family. Yes. And yeah, Red Mom's changing the world. We are a tribe as well, you know, so supporting each other and building our own tribes and communities wherever we live. And so I love that you, you know, Absolutely. are encouraging us to to dig into that even more. Great. Well, you know, as we're wrapping up, you know, I'd like to talk about renewal as, you know, one of the theme words for the year. What does, you know, that word mean to you, you know, now that we're, you know, in 2021 and things are opening up again, you know, what does renewal mean for you? I guess for me, renewal means, and because now I'm retired, it's just doing whatever I want to do when I want to do it. The kids <laughs> are grown up, you know, <laughs> making their own way. and going out for a walk, reading a book, watching my favorite show on television. It's just doing whatever I feel comfortable. And the, and the other thing is just to any people, be honest, family that are toxic, just kind of removing them from your head space and being fine with that and being fine with that. And, you know, loving them from a distance. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's uh, a point about, you know, self-care is not only what we're doing for ourselves, but also what we're not doing. You know, what we're choosing not to do or where we're who we're choosing not to spend time with is, yeah. is just as important uh, when it comes to self-care. So that's, that's, a, that's really powerful if we really take that time to just evaluate, right? What in our life is giving us joy, building us up, Absolutely. making us better and what is not and how we can, Absolutely. you know, make sure we find ways, like you said, to, to keep, keep at a distance from it in whatever way possible. So great. Any final words as we're wrapping up now? 
Um, I guess I would just like to say to the parents out there that are going to be listening to this or even passing this on to other people as well, just be a warrior and an activist mom for your children. Help them to be as successful as they're going to be and feel confident and comfortable that you've done the best that you can because whatever they turn out to be, you know you've done what you needed to be. You know, once they, they launch and at that point as a parent, you have to learn how to lead from behind. And it's not easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to learn how to lead from behind because they're going to be making their own decisions and you won't have as much impact. But you give them the start that they need to be successful. And if they're not, it's not on you, mom. You did your best. You did what you could. And right. feel proud of yourself for what you did. Because I always hear parents feeling guilty about things. Oh, I didn't do this or I couldn't do this. And I'm like, stop it. Stop. You know, if you know you did the best that you could, right. be fine with that. That's right. That's right. Good. So then how can we, you know, get a hold of you if, you know, as moms are listening, want to reach out? Well, the first thing I would love for people to do, and I'm going to put my book up, is to get a copy <laughs> of my book, The Warrior Mom. How I fought to get a great education and scholarship for my children and others. So you can go on Amazon and you can get a copy of the book. Now my website will have a lot of the resources that I found over the last 20 years. But anyone who wants to contact me, they can send me an email at Rhonda Lyle, R-H-O-N-D-A-L-Y-L-E 411 at gmail.com. And that's just set aside, you know, for the people who may want to talk to me, you know, about the specific things that we're talking about today and talk about the book and whatever. And I am going to be I'm going to have a webinar and people will be a free webinar that I'm working on. And I think I told you I am not a technical person. I'm sure it's great. Well, thanks again for joining us. And I know that you know uh, moms and parents, you know, have so many tools from our conversation today and can reach out to you if they'd like more. So thanks again. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. This has been such a joy because this is what I like talking about the most. Opportunities for young people, opportunities for parents, and just, you know, letting them know these are the things that I did and you can do, you can do too and more and more. So thank you so much for having me. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Moms Changing the World with host Akua Walker. The information shared on this show is meant for educational purposes only and not intended as a substitute for medical intervention or professional therapy. All views shared on the show are that of the speakers only and do not represent any institution. To be a part of the community, visit www.momschangingtheworld.org. There you'll find ways to connect with and support the moms we interview. Join us next time for more encouragement and support to be a mom changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.